Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We are continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and we're picking up in Acts chapter um, 19, verse 8 this morning. So if you would join me there, and I'll be reading down just to the first verse of the chapter 20. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands." So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go, to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. 
for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. Let them, let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So as we've been studying the book of Acts, we have been considering um, Paul in his travels. And so last week, specifically, we looked at the transition from, of Paul going from his second missionary journey into his third missionary journey. And so I'm starting to get rid of some of the clutter that's on the, on the, on the map there. And uh, next week, we'll get rid of even more of it. But if you remember, um, oops, wrong button. Here we go. Yeah, there we go. Okay. If you remember, Paul um, had stopped in to Ephesus on his way, but he was heading to Jerusalem to fulfill a vow. And when he was in Ephesus, um, as he stopped by there, he told them that it was his intent to come back. And so after he had gone, fulfilled his vow in Jerusalem, he went back to Antioch, right, to uh, encourage the brethren there. And then he traveled all the way through Pamphylia and the lower part of Galatia, back down into Asia, the province of Asia, um, to the city of Ephesus. And so then we're told that he spent over two years there um, ministering, evangelizing, and edifying the saints that were there as well. The city of Ephesus, what about it? Well, it is an important city. So if you remember the cities now that Paul is starting to go to, okay? Paul is kind of transitioning ministry-wise, okay? Um, when he first started out, if you remember right, um, he didn't. Um, he, uh, he and Barnabas had gone down to Cyprus. They went through the Isle of Cyprus, came down to Paphos, right? And that's where the um, the Roman proconsul um, got saved. My mind's blanking. Thank you, Sergius Paulus, right? And then from there, they head up into Adalia and Perga, and they go up into Antioch of Pisidia, okay? And they're going to, if you would, small towns, okay? And so he just. And he comes down into Iconia, Derby, Lystra, okay, and then he heads back to Antioch. But as Paul begins this next journey, he comes up through here, and he has the desire to go into Asia, can't go there, goes the desire to go to Bithynia, can't go there. So he's kind of pushed to Troas, and then into the um, Macedonian region, and then down into Greece and Achaia. But from that point, when he goes down into Achaia, he goes to Athens. And from Athens, he goes to Corinth. From Corinth, he passes over to Ephesus, but he doesn't stay, but he says, I'm going to come back. He's starting to go to major cities, okay? And as he's going to these major cities, he's starting to spend more time. How much time did he spend in Corinth? Does anybody remember? 18 months. 18 months. That's okay, yeah. I mean, it may have been a little bit longer, actually, okay, but we know it was 18 months that he spent at one point, okay? But he's starting to disciple and train people to take over the work, to multiply the work. And we're going to see that a little bit more today. Now, the first time he got to Ephesus, he had a good reception. And the people in the synagogue begged him to stay, do you remember? Okay? But he said, no, 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 I can't. I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to fulfill this vow. But as it is, as we've seen all the way through, the gospel doesn't always and primarily doesn't get a good reception. And so even though he had a good reception the first trip, the second trip is what we're going to find out to be the, the real case, right? Now, let's talk about Ephesus real quick, um, because Ephesus, where Ephesus sat, was again like Corinth. Remember, Corinth had the, um, the canal that was cut through there, and it became a, a major um, um, channel for uh, taking the... Um, Come on, Bob. The merchandising from Italy through there over into the Asia Minor and into Asia. Ephesus, in the same way, okay, was a, 
a major transport. Then from Corinth and Athens, they could go over to Ephesus. And from Ephesus, they could then, if they wanted to go by sea, they could go down by sea into those other areas. Or from there, they actually had major inroads throughout the land. Okay, So they would transport then things from sea to land. And then from um, Ephesus, they had that. This is um, from Google. Okay, This is the, the area where Ephesus was. And so what I want you to see real fast we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we don't have a lot of time to spend on it, but still, I'm, I, I think in pictures, um, so it's helpful for me to see things like this. Um, right here, this little uh, wedge of uh, white where it says theater, you'll see that in a moment. That was the theater. And then coming down from there, you see the, that, that white line, okay? That's a, just a straight line coming there. That's Harbor Street, okay? And so right now, you look at it and you say, Harbor Street. It is Harbor Street, okay? And then up... Um, Northwest of it, you have the Temple of Artemis, which is the Temple of Diana. Diana is the Latin name, the Roman name of the goddess Artemis. Okay, and so so there's, these are um, Grecian. Okay, and so she would be the temple. It would be Artemis, but because of the Roman influence, they would refer to it as Diana. Now, this is from Harbor Street, looking up into that theater. Okay, so it was a large theater. Okay, it was a large city. It was a very influential city, okay? And so when, um, when Alexander and them are dragged out, they're probably dragged into this theater, okay? It's kind of the idea. That's why I'm showing it to you, okay? And so from the theater then, looking down, Harbor Street, there you go, okay? Now, at first, you may look at just above the EET and see some water there. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's the ocean. That's, that's there. That's not it at all. Um, here's your next one from Google Map. Actually, it's about six miles now from the ocean. Silting has, over the thousands of years, silting has come, and so that there actually is no harbor at the end of Harbor Street anymore. Um, it's 6.2 miles um, over to the, the uh, Mediterranean and to the, the, the inlet that's there. Okay, So it used to be a major, major merchandising area. Not so anymore, Okay, at least specifically where the... Um, um, the archaeological digs are today, okay? But this is the area that we're going to be talking about, okay? Um, this is the Temple of Artemis, or Diana, that's sitting up to the northwest of that, those digs as well, okay? And so you can see down below the recreation of it. It was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And so many people came from around the world to Ephesus in order to see this wonder. And also because it was purported that they had then this item, which potentially fell from the heavens, or by Zeus. So if you've got the New King James, it says Zeus. I think the New American Standards and the ESV has heaven that's there. Literally, the word, for me, as I went and I was translating, is the only time it's ever used, okay, breaking it apart, it's talking about a traveler, okay? So it fell from a traveler. I mean, there's the word ornos for heavens. There's the word Zeus for Zeus. I mean, and so if it was one of those, it would have been using that word, but it's not, okay? And so the idea is that no one really knows. They just have this thing that's there. Potentially, was it from a meteorite that fell? It potentially was. But they all claimed that it was from Zeus. It was from the gods. It was from, fell from the heavens for, for them. And so it was a, a, something that they built a temple around, and they make a big deal about it. And that's what the clerk's going to bring up later on, that this is fact. Everybody knows this. This is why, why are we even worrying about this? This is an established fact. This is how it is, okay? So this is the place that is being talked about when, you get, when we get to that realm, okay? So Ephesus, again, is what we're going to be talking about as we come through it. And there's going to be three areas then as, in this passage that we're going to look at. First of all, there's going to be the ministry of Paul. Then we're going to look at the, um, the, the itinerant um, exorcists, um, and specifically the seven sons of Sceva, and then we'll be looking quickly at the uprising that happens as well. And again, we can make three more messages out of this, and we kind of talked about that last week, but the reality is we've been going through the book of Acts for years, okay? And so the goal was to try to see the forest as we're going through it, not miss the forest because we're looking at specific flowers, okay? So all this is going on in Ephesus at this time, okay? And so Paul, first of all, has his ministry at the synagogue like he does in every single city, right? And while he's there, there is an, um, some dispute that's causing now about the way, okay? And so, again, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. But the movement 
was always referred to as the way. It wasn't referred to as Christianity at the time. It was the way. Well, where does it come from? Well, the, the, the teachers had come to Jesus and they said, good teacher, we know that you, you, know, you speak what is true and that you, you teach us the way of God, right? And so later, um, when Jesus was getting ready to go, he encouraged his disciples, he says, you know, um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions, right? And I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you, so on and so forth. And so then there's this discussion of the fact that he is then the way to the Father's house. You know, how do we know the way? Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So when they were referring to then the way, what they're referring to is the, the means of salvation, that the, the manner of being saved, the manner of coming to Yahweh, isn't through now the law, but it's through Christ. Okay, And so they were seen to be followers of the way, which is a, a, um, then a, a meaning of that Jesus, Yahweh, uh, Yeshua, was the Messiah, the Mashiach, um, for the Jews. Okay? So that's what that was all about. But So he spoke boldly for three months, okay? and that's all it took. They loved him on his first go-around, but now he comes back and he's speaking boldly, and all it takes him is three months, and uh, they don't like him anymore. Okay? And so what happens? This is interesting, because this is really the, the second time, but the first time that we're really given the details that Paul specifically separates the believers at this moment. He takes them out of the synagogue and takes them over to the school Tyrannus. And so he specifically then separates the believers out. 2 Corinthians 6 tells us what is light to do with darkness, what is Christ to do with Belial. And that's talking more on the pagan side, but it says that we shouldn't be, um, that believers shouldn't be partners with, with unbelievers is really the idea, okay? And so that extends to religion, it extends to your business, it extends to a whole lot of stuff. I can give you lots of illustrations where individuals partnered with unbelievers and then were burnt by the unscrupulous practices of the unbeliever. Why? They didn't have the same basis of operation. Okay? Well, specifically, that happens even in the theological realm. You know, that's like saying that, you know, we're still meeting at the synagogue downtown. That wouldn't go so well. Make sense? Because you're a bunch of Gentiles. I mean, some of you, one or two of you might have some Jewish roots, but for the reality is that we're, we're Gentiles. And so we'd all be sitting in the, in the back, right, and be overwhelming the synagogue, okay? And then our messengers would want to be teaching about what? Jesus as the Messiah, right? Which they don't believe, they don't accept. And so you can understand the, how, how a problem would occur. So Paul takes them and he separates them out. 1 Timothy 6, 2 Timothy 3, Paul is encouraging Timothy, who was the pastor of the time or the apostolic representative of, in Ephesus, to do that, to make sure that he is making sure that they stay separate from those who are teaching these myths and these other things. Okay, So he taught then at the school of Tyrannus for two years. This is an amazing thing to me. Again, remember um, Priscilla and Aquila had him undivided, if you would, for 18 months, right? So could you imagine sitting in the, the, the biblical school of, of Paul for two years? And he taught daily, is what we're told, so that he set up every day in the school of Tyrannus and taught whoever would want to come. And so you would have the opportunity to go to the school of Tyrannus, right, and, and sit under the feet of Paul and to be taught by him. This is a Jewish concept, okay, which is being brought over into the church. Paul, we're told, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Okay? So in a sense, he is bringing this same concept into the church. Okay? And so those who wanted to receive the teaching, those who wanted to be bolstered up in the Word of God, could come. What's exciting about that is, they didn't necessarily have to be... Say again? Jewish, or Levitical, or of any specific uh, hierarchy. Does it make sense? It was open to any who wanted to come. 
Okay? And that's kind of, when you, when you think about now, with the teaching of God's Word, that's what we want. We want to teach anybody and everybody who wants to learn God's Word. There's no elitism. There's no class uh, hierarchy that goes on, okay? So the Word of God was being opened to anybody in that city who wanted to walk in and to sit under the feet of, of Paul, okay? And so we can continue to talk about then um, those who sat under the feet of Paul and, you know, the Clements and stuff like that who went on later. Um, but still, there was... This was the beginning of a, of a great ministry that Paul had that began to affect, as we're told, all of the province of Asia and then into the, um, the area of Asia Minor as a whole. Okay, So he taught for two years. He was used by God to perform unusual miracles. Literally, we read that they're not common mighty works. Okay, And so the word miracle there is the word dunamut, um, which is for power, okay, so mighty things that were going on, okay, and the, the word there for um, unusual is really meaning they weren't common. These weren't the common type of things. And, and there's, before I get to my two subpoints, you need to understand that there were people out there who were doing mighty works, who were doing powerful things. So remember back when Philip went to um, Samaria, right? Then you had um, Simon the Simon the magician, sorcerer, okay, who was there, and he was doing powerful works. They declared him to me the, the, the mighty one of God, remember? But all of a sudden, Philip's, God starts using Philip, and he realizes what? That guy's got the real deal. Simon was using some kind of arts, some kind of trickeries, some kind of whatever to be able to dupe the people. And he knew when he saw what was, Philip was doing that that was the real deal, okay? Well, the same thing here, okay? So apparently there are probably people out there who are using black magic, whatever you want to call it. I don't, you know, we're not necessarily told, but they're able to do some things. But God used Paul to do things that weren't common, things that weren't going to be reproducible if you would. You understand? It's not like when we're down in Egypt, right? And so the first thing that, the, um, that, the, that Aaron and Moses did was to turn the water into blood, right? So what immediately did uh, Pharaoh have his, his priests do? They turned more water into blood. The problem is they couldn't turn it back out of blood into water, okay? But forget that for a moment, right? And so that happened again with the frogs, right? I mean, and so they, they bring frogs on. And so, so what did Pharaoh do? He had his priests bring more frogs on, but they couldn't get rid of the frogs. So at that point, he has to go to Moses and say, what? Get rid of the frogs. I want to know how, do they knew, how they knew that the, those priests actually brought more frogs. I mean, if you've got frogs everywhere, how do you know that they just brought more frogs? Whatever it was. But at that point, they, Pharaoh gets to the point realizing that what? The magic, if you would, the power the abilities that Moses and Aaron have are greater than the abilities that my guys got. Same concept happening here. God is doing a work that's getting the attention of the people. Okay, So um, it's not the way that God normally does it. Okay, And that's important. Okay, This isn't out of the ordinary way. God's not doing something. He's using superstitions of people right, to, to bring it about. You say, so he uses then, um, oh, we'll get to the object of the miracle in a second. But he's using these things. In fact, I'll just throw it up there and we'll talk the whole thing, okay? Um, the objects and the miracles, right? The sweat rags tying around his head and the apron, which ties around down here. And so if you remember back earlier in the book of Acts, people were bringing out their, um, their sick and everything and they're on their beds and stuff like that. And, and where were they laying them? wherever the shadow of Peter might be able to go. Because apparently, God used even the shadow of Peter to heal people. Mark 5, I think it's what I got up here, right? Yeah, Mark 5, that's the one about the woman who had the, the bleeding for 12 years. Okay? And so she had spent all of her money on physicians. They weren't able to do anything. And she said to herself, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, no, that was a Jewish superstition that for a rabbi, in, in a, a large rabbi, they would have the tzitzit coming down, right? That the power would flow 
and it would come out even to the, the tzitzis, the, 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 um, the tassels, the prayer tassels that were coming down. And so the idea was, she says to herself, if I can only touch the tzitzi, if I can only touch the hem of the garment, I know that I'll be healed. When she's healed, she touches him. She knows, she knows she's healed. She touches, she knows she's healed, right? And then a few moments later, Jesus stops, right? Almost immediately, right? And he says what? Who touched me? Peter and the other apostles kind of mock him. Say, what are you talking about? Who touched me? There's people jostling you all around and you want to know who touched you? Could you imagine the moment? You can imagine Jesus kind of looking like, duh. Do you know who you talk to? I know someone touched me, and he's looking at the crowd. And Kathy, I'm going to pick on you, okay, because you're kind of that, right? And he he just stops, and he looks. Could you imagine the woman at this moment when Jesus just kind of stops? He's like, I am undone. I I thought I slid back through the crowd fast enough, you know? And and she says, what? I did. I did it. I, I, I... I, I came, I believed that if I, if I could just touch you, and he says to her, daughter, what? Not you're healed. Say it again. Your faith, your faith has healed you. So, again, we can't go into it, but remember Jesus when he was in Nazareth. Couldn't do any healings. Why? He had no faith? No faith, not in him. No faith by the people in him. Yeah, I want to make sure we state it right. He had faith. He had ability, but it required the what? The people to have faith. Does that make sense? Okay. And so God sometimes uses our superstitious activities. Okay. That doesn't mean it's what? Right. And it doesn't mean it's the way that God always does it. But sometimes God uses those things. And it's okay because God's God. Don't put him in a box. The minute you try to put him in a box, you know what he's going to do? He's going to yeah, bust out. He's going to jump out of your box and say, I'm not in your box. Okay? And so, so you can't put him in the box. Okay? But God has all this power. And what you read, though, in here is that, um, come down, that God worked, verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Did Paul do the, un- the miracles? No. Who did the miracles? God. But he chose to use Paul as his vessel. Okay? So I have up here, he was used by God to perform unusual miracles. That's how it played out. He was used by God. Okay? Paul had to believe, though, by faith, that God could do this. And the people had to believe by faith that God could do this. But again, it was unusual. And what were the purpose of signs? Do you remember from the beginning of the book of Acts? What is the purpose of signs? To authenticate the message. That's exactly right. To authenticate the message. And we see that that's exactly what happens as a result of this. Okay? That many people begin to believe. Okay? In fact, they believe so much that there are these exorcists, these itinerant exorcists, that are floating around, okay? Now, they already existed before Paul got to Ephesus. Remember? Again, we talked about the people doing these mighty works and that kind of stuff. Well, there's one little group called the the exorcists, okay? And so, literally, exorcist is the Greek word, okay? And so, it uh, means to bring them out, okay? And so, there were more than just the seven sons of Sceva that were doing it, but they sought to exorcise demons now by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached. What does it tell you? No, wait, wait, we'll get there. That's what, they, that's what the demons say. But what do we know about these itinerant exorcists? They don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They're going to try to do it by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay? So all they've heard about is Paul and all these wonderful things, these marvelous works, everything that, that God is working through Paul, clearly in the name of Jesus. Do you get it? We weren't necessarily told that when we had the wonderful works that God was working. But clearly, Paul must have been giving credence to the name of Jesus. Remember when Peter and John came to the temple, right? Silver and gold have we not, but what such as we have give we unto you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up in 
walk, and he rose up and walking and leaping and praising God, right? And so, again, giving glory, giving um, the credit to, to Christ, to Jesus, okay? And so they came, but then we have these, the example of the seven sons of Sceva, which again, I'd love to make a, a long message part of this one, but why do it? Anyways, first of all, they had their great thrashing, right? So they go in, thinking they're hot stuff, right? And they got this new um, mantra that they can use, this new, you know, shout because I am, you know, we can say this thing, and boom, you know, these, all this is going to happen. We're just going to go in, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. Well, it didn't quite happen that way, did it? So first of all, we're told they were overruled. Interesting. Overlorded. Lorded against. Um, I want you to think about what this statement means. The demons had greater authority than the itinerant exorcists who didn't know Jesus but only wanted to proclaim Jesus' name. Many, many, many moons ago, if you remember the, the days of um, uh, Promise Keepers, I was there on the inaugural Promise Keeper rally down at the river. And, um, and Robert Williams spoke. It was a good message. It was a great message by Robert Williams. But they sang songs. And, um, and it was okay. I'm, I, wide range. I'm eclectic and all of that. But we sang this one song. And all of a sudden they just start using Jesus as a mantra in order to chase away all the demons. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Said, You're using his name in vain. I turned to the guys who were with me. I said, think about this. They're, they're not, you're not calling. People aren't calling on his name right now. They're just using his name. Demons don't flee at the name of Jesus. They didn't flee at the name of Jesus. They flee at the authority of Jesus. They flee at the power of Jesus. They submit to the authority of Jesus. But if you're using Jesus like a cross to a vampire or a clove of garlic, that's superstition. Again, go back up a couple points. Could God use that? He could use that. But he doesn't use it that way. It has to do with a relationship and the authority that you have based upon the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples. Well, why can you go make disciples? Why should you go and make disciples? Because he has the authority and he's bestowed it upon you to do that. But if you don't know him, you don't have that authority. And you can't play that authority. Could he use you in spite of that? Yeah, he could. No doubt. But is he required to? No. He's not a genie in a bottle. You don't rub it and say, abracadabra, shalakazam, and all of a sudden God's got to do whatever you want him to do. And demons just kind of, <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Demons are real. There's a real spiritual war going on. And it's not something to be played with. Well, they were overruled, but they weren't just overruled. They were overpowered. And they got the kicked out of them. Seven of them were overpowered by one who was full of demons. You can go back and you look at the, the, the demoniac of the Gadarenes, right? I mean, they couldn't even chain him because he was what? He'd break the chains. He was living in amongst the tombs. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Transfiguration Peter, James, and John, he found his disciples being engulfed by the mob, by the throng, which wanted their head. I mean, again, you've got to understand the situation was going on because the father had brought his son for the demon to be cast out, and they weren't able to do anything. And so they were looking at them as though they were false apostles, right? False prophets. And so, so the, 
Jesus said, what's going on? And so the, the father says, hey, I brought my, my son here, but you're, they're not able to do anything. If you can do anything, cast the demon out, right? Jesus is not whether I can believe, it's whether you can believe, right? And so he said, bring your son here, and so he cast the demon out. Later on, the disciples, apostles, asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? In the same sense of these exorcists, same concept going on. Did we miss something? Was there a certain practice that we, that we were we supposed to say a certain thing? And think about that. When people are praying, you got to get them to say, you know, pray, say this after me. I state your name, do solemnly swear that you're a sinner, that you cannot save yourself, and you go through the sinner's prayer thing. And in the end, they better say what? Yeah, but they better, how they better close their prayer? Because we want to close our prayers that way. In Jesus' name, I pray, because God has to do it if you say that. Because Jesus said so. You ask anything in my name, and I'll do it. So we say, Shalakazam at the end, and Jesus has got to do it. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus meant, if you ask anything according to my will, then you'll get it. That's what's stated in 1 John 5. If you ask anything according to his will, you'll know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you'll know you'll receive that which you've asked for. But we like to play the game of the Jesus thing. Well, his disciples say, why can't we do it? I mean, was there something we're missing? Is there, why can't we do it? Jesus said, it was a matter of faith. You lacked faith. But this kind only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. Which means that when you're praying and you're fasting, what are you doing? Or you should be doing, you could be doing, growing in your faith. Now, again, you could be fasting and praying only to punch a ticket to make it like, I'm super spiritual, therefore this thing has to happen. And you've lost the whole authority part of it anyway. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. The closer you are in your relationship with Christ, the more you are set apart unto him. Purity, passion, privilege, power. The more that you are holy and set apart unto him, the more that you are impassioned for the things that he's, that he's impassioned for, the more privileges that he will give you. And with those privileges to, to represent him, he will give you power. But it comes from him. But we want the power without the process of getting there. To be a strong Christian, it's a five-step process. I call it the Prima Principle. Pray, because that's a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. It's a communication that you're going to have with a pray. Then read. Read his word. Investigate. Study. Investigate his word. Why do I believe what I believe? Meditate slash memorize the word of God. So you can be like that man in Psalm 1 that meditates upon the word of God night and day, and, and whatsoever he does shall be what? Fruitful, beneficial, right? A, apply. Apply. It doesn't come to the end. But we want to go jump all the way to point five before we got one, two, three, four. You have to have a relationship. It's all about the relationship. Anyways, these guys didn't have it. They were overpowered. They were stripped naked. They ran out of that house naked and bloody. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being the people in the street that day? Don't you wish that there was a, a larger report given about some of these things? Like, what all happened? You know? I mean, you can spare some of the details, but just, I mean, I'd love that. Well, we know what happened. I mean, th th it was amazing, right? And that resulted in the great awakening of the city. They saw the power that God was working through Paul, and then they saw what happened to the fakes. And it got people's attention. And there was a great awakening that started in the city. Well, what do we see happen in this great awakening? We saw that fear fell on them all. Well, what kind of fear? Fear of Paul? Potentially. But Paul would continually direct it to where? To God. It was a fear of God. They understood the God of Paul was not someone to be messed with. They magnified the name of Jesus. It's huge to me again. Because again, Paul wasn't bringing the credit to himself. He was continuing to deflect the credit, the glory, where it belonged, to Jesus. That's why I think fear fell upon people. It wasn't fear of the believers. It was fear of their God. 
of those believers. And then we're told that people began to come out with all their books of magic and idolatrous things, and they began to burn them, burn them, destroy them, destroy them, such that they were equal to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, if those pieces of silver were only a drachma or a denare, okay, which was a laborer's day wage, okay, if we bring that into today's in the United States, okay, so bring it for us so we understand, we still are at $7.25 as a national minimum wage. Okay? So if you used a national minimum wage of $7.25, that was $2.1 million, $2.9 million of stuff. If that silver was actually a talent, which where Jesus talks about in some of his parables, right? If it was a talent of silver, which is worth 6000 times that amount, now you're up to $17.4 billion worth of stuff. So somewhere probably between there, between $3 million and $16 billion worth of books and supplies and paraphernalia were brought out and destroyed. When Bob was first saved, some of you know this stuff. I used to DJ parties and that kind of stuff. I had now, thousands of dollars worth of music is not going to sound like anything to you today, but back then that was a whole lot of money. I don't, haven't figured out what the equivalence would be, but I had lots of, mon lots of money in my tapes and LPs and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so when I first got saved, it was pretty simple for me. Def Leppard, ACDC, Blue Oyster Cult, um, satanic rock music had to go. I mean, it's kind of it's pretty simple, right? And so that got destroyed pretty fast. Um, but as I was ciphering through th that stuff, you know, Led Zeppelin had to go. That was hard for me. I was a Zepp head, okay? And so um, it's awful because I can sing you all those songs still. I mean, 40 years ago, I can still, they'll just, they'll come right out. I can put them all through. And um, kids, that's why I tell you, don't put that chunk in your brain because later you're going to regret it and you'll never get it out. It'll always be there. You have the greatest computer ever sitting on top of your neck and it'll retain the information that you never want. There's songs, pictures, all this kind of trash that I wish I never put in my brain. But it's there. It's there. For better or worse, usually it's what? Worse. Okay? So anyways, but I, I grabbed a bunch of this stuff, and I thought to myself, I can at least redeem this. And I took it down to, on Gordon Highway, there was a a, a, a little shop that had to use, use you know, I, get, I know. It was used records and that kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, I can go down there and I can trade it in for godly music. You know, they didn't have any godly music in that place. <laughs> and I got a pittance, a pittance for that. And man, I'm a new believer. Now, I understand I'm a new, brand new believer at this moment, okay? But the Holy Spirit was working overtime on me. I couldn't live with myself. Because I just realized I just put that satanic music and, and literally trash music into a place where it's more reasonable priced for an individual to go listen to. So on the next wave of my music, that God was getting rid of my music, that got destroyed with hammers and sledges and, and everything else before it got thrown into the dumpster. I didn't burn a fire. I didn't want to have the... EPA coming with, with all, <laughs> where's this rubber fire at? Anyways, so, um, so but I destroyed it. Because again, I read in the book of Acts what they did. They destroyed it. They didn't sell it off. They didn't try to make money off it. They didn't try to replace it. Does it make sense? They got rid of it. So I got to ask you, as I continually ask myself, is there things in your life that need to be brought out and destroyed? We don't have to have a public burning tonight at the characters, Okay. But we could. There will be, <laughs> be a fire. And if you have stuff and you want to come and just drop it in there, you can. I know someone else individually who, who went through that with his, with his movies, and he cleansed them out. And it was a process of, of time, okay? Look, you can decide whether you want purity and passion for God so you can have those privileges and power. But the privileges and power don't come but on the heels of the, the, the purity and the passion. You, you, got a, you got a desire to be holy as he is holy. you got a desire to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love the things that he loves. 
And if you don't, if you're loving the world, forget these things. That's only by his grace that he might even use you. Because you're not set apart to be used. These people got it. And a great awakening began to happen there. That led then to a great increase of the word. It's exactly what we've seen earlier in the book of Acts, over in Jerusalem and, and that kind of stuff. When the, when the, the people began to, to set themselves apart and they began to be used and they spoke with boldness, all of a sudden the word increased. Do we want to see the word increased? Do we want to see the power of the word increased? Well, that means that we need to be set apart. We need to be wanting to be used by God. That leads to this no small disturbance um, or agitation about the way. It's literally what it would state there, the uprising that happens. So first thing we want to talk about, the real cause. Okay, What was the cause? What was the real cause of this uprising? Well, Demetrius. Demetrius is a silversmith, and he begins to realize that not as many people are coming in to buy his idols anymore because they're being what? Saved. Rather than buying his idols, what are they doing? They're melting them down. <laughs> They're throwing them into the fire. This is part of that $2.9 million, you know, of going away. And so he's, he's losing business. People are getting saved. They're not coming in and buying it. But what does he put out as the claim? What does he tell the people so that he can, he can engender this mob? Well, he says the temple of Diana or Artemis might, might be despised in her magnificence destroyed. He's not saying that it is happening. He says, this could happen. Do you know today, with mob mentality, what the leaders of the mob usually lead with? Potentialities. They don't give facts. They give potentialities. And they find a theme that arouses the people that have nothing to do with the real cause, but that's what they work them up with. And they work them up into a frenzy. And so the people who lived in Ephesus, that would be like, if you've moved into the city, now I've been here since 83, so I'm, I'm, I'm two-thirds Augustine now. I mean, this is nuts to think about that, you know? Uh, it used to be, I remember when, when I first became over half Southern. You know, now I'm two-thirds Southern. And um, it's like saying to an Augustine, Person, somebody from Augusta, that the Augusta National is going to be shut down. Now, again, not a believer, an unbeliever. I mean, people realize in this town the importance of the Augusta National, how much money it brings in, and probably a lot of other things, that military and medical and that kind of stuff, they come in because they got the Augusta National here and the, and the draw and stuff like that. It's like saying we're going to get rid of the Augusta National. You know? And so they're not going to talk about anything else. They're going to talk about this one item, Okay, and you rouse up the people, rouse up the masses, right? No way, you can't do that. And we've seen it happen in the political realm, but also in other areas, right? So that's his claim. And so what happens with the crowd? Well, mob mentality. There's a confusion. We see that later on. There's a confusion. They don't even know why they're rioting. They don't even know what's going on. So they grab Alexander and Gaius, right? And Aristarchus, I'm sorry, Aristarchus and Gaius. And they drag them down, right, to, 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 to be taken. Why? Because they couldn't find Paul. Well, why couldn't they find Paul? Well, disciples and rulers of Asia, okay, some of the officials of Asia, told Paul, don't go. Stop for a moment. Again, this is an area which I wish they would, there's more information. That tells me that Paul had what? Not just accountability, friends in high places. How did he get them? That must mean that he was going out and ministering to people that we don't read about. You know? but, but God had told him way back in Damascus, right? this is what his ministry was going to be. He was going to be able to, to give the gospel to these people. And apparently, he did it well enough that these people liked him. Were some of these officials saved? We're not told, possibly. Yeah, we're not told. But they want Paul saved. They don't want him to see him destroyed, Right? So they must be at least disposed to the, the, the gospel in some manner, or to the, the ministry. So I think this is kind of, kind of cool, right? And so, so you got this crowd mentality. Again, I, I, I just think of the United States right now, 21st century United States. I mean, it's like, we are so there, okay? But then you got the clerk. This guy impresses me. We're not told he's a believer. We're not told he's a believer. So, so 
totally think of this coming from today with what you saw even a couple years ago with the, the, you know, the, the CNN building being destroyed and, and all these kind of things, right? And you, have all this, and you got this one little guy. I mean, I always picture just this little diminutive guy. Now, he may, maybe he was really big and whatever, but I'm just picturing the city clerk. I'm kind of coming in with the class, big glasses on and stuff like that, bald head and, you know, and, you know, pot belly and, you know, and he comes in. So that's what I picture. And probably isn't like that at all, but that's what I, well, I just kind of picture. Too many Hollywood movies. And, um, but he starts off by diffusing the situation with his declaration. Now, we wouldn't agree necessarily with his declaration. He states it as a fact about Artemis, Diana, that we know, and the whole world knows well, the whole world accepted it. They had the seven wonders of the world, one of the seven wonders of the world there. Everybody came for this thing, okay? So regardless of whether we as believers would agree with it or not, but what this guy does is he diffuses the situation right off the bat, okay? He states fact, quote-unquote, if you would, from their perspective, okay? And he, he tells the crowd the fact, but then he turns around and he denounces them because they don't know what they're fight, arguing for. He said, no, this is, look, everybody knows that we are, the, we are the guardians, the temple guardians of this thing. And, and you're dragging guys here who've never denounced Diana. They haven't robbed the temple. Whatever the item was, it's still there. They've done nothing wrong. <laughs> but then he goes out, what the real situation is. But if Demetrius and the other silversmiths have an issue, because he knows what the real issue is, and he addresses it, I think this is an amazing thing. Would be that we had some politicians who had the chutzpah to stand up and speak truth. Now, again, we may debate that first part of their truth, okay? But from the, from the pure civil side of things, this is what they believed. And so he just logically lays it out. If these guys have an issue, what do they need to do? Take it to court. Sounds like the United States, doesn't it? Follow the proper procedure. Take them to court. Bring it into the court of law and let it be decided properly. We're not going to do this based upon mob mentality. Mob mentality doesn't rule. In fact, he says, on the other side, he says, we are in jeopardy now of having Rome come in and wipe us out because of it. Do you understand? That's what happened in Jerusalem. That's why Jerusalem got destroyed by Rome, because of the continual mob mentalities that was going on in Israel. And Rome had enough of it. We're done. We're done with you. And so this guy just puts out the, the real thing. So he dismisses the assembly, which is, again, not a big deal here, but when he dismisses the assembly, what's kind of fun for you, just as a, a data point in your brain, this is the word ecclesia. He's not dismissing the church. He's dismissing the assembly. The word we use for church is ecclesia, ecclesia a group of called out ones, okay? But it literally is uh, for a, an assembly. And so what were these people? What was this unruly mob? Well, they were a group of called out ones. <laughs> they, 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 were, they were doing their own thing, and, and, and they're told these lies, and then they, they, they come out with a mob mentality, okay? But, so when you understand the Greek word, that's, it's just a group of people, okay, who are called out with a common purpose, okay? And so he goes through this whole process, he dismisses them, and he lets them go. Paul then takes this as the opportunity for him to be able to trans travel on. Earlier, I didn't go through it, but it was just a little parenthetical statement that he had made prior to the, the, the uprising, what his passion, what his, um, his plan was. In other words, all this didn't happen as a result of the um, uprising. He already had the plan of what he was going to do. Then the uprising occurs. It's a good time time to slide on. If I stay, there's going to be more uprising. Let the church grow. Does it make sense? And so he slides on and he begins his next part of the journey, which we'll pick it up again next week, right? So in the end, was there a noticeable change in your life when you believed on Jesus, as there was in these early believers? Something that happened that people said, wow, there's a change. These people 
brought out 2.9 million, that's the, the lower estimate, stuff to get rid of. Can I just ask you, and again, I'm not going to preach a message on it, do you have more secular music or Christian music that you listen to? Do you have more secular stuff that you read or biblically oriented stuff that you read? Do you spend more time watching things that tear you down spiritually or Christian type stuff that builds you up? I had a dear friend of mine once tell me that he never watched <clears throat> any of the, um, the, um, the Facing the Giants, Fireproof, Kendrick, the Kendrick movies, because they didn't have enough action in them. He, only, he wanted to watch that Hollywood stuff because it had... I don't want to. You have to change the way you think. And changing the way you think changes the way you act. Again, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal because like Chuck's testimony earlier, I have blown it so many times and have proven once over and over and over again that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But I promise you, I never regret making the decisions to jettison my, my movies, my musics, the things that I read. Um, and I, I can look like an idiot sometimes because I don't know certain things that are happening in the news or around the world, but I'd rather look like the idiot than to be filled with a bunch of junk. And I'd rather look silly because I don't know those movies. I haven't watched a secular movie for 30-something years. I mean, there's a lot of music. I love when they play music from today because I don't know it. I hate when they play the oldies. I'm the oldies, right? Because I know it all, and I wish I didn't. But God has allowed me over those years to put so much Christian music in me. And I love just being able to, you put any, whatever genre on. I mean, again, I'm eclectic and all that, okay? I, I, was, I was eclectic in my music before I got saved. I stayed eclectic even afterwards. And I can sing you from a bunch of different genres. But it's in me now. And it's God-honoring lyrics. Do you understand? And I love when I wake up with God-honoring lyrics. I hate when I wake up and I'm singing a secular song, okay? But you have to make the decision that you want to be impassioned for the things that he's impassioned for, that you want to be holy as he is holy, and then bring it out and burn it in the fire. Not literally, but you get what I'm saying, okay? And I promise you, God will reward that, and you will never, ever, ever miss it. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable. It's not unreasonable. And that you not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of your mind, that you'll be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you get it? God's word is true. Anyways, get on. Are there habits, books, movies, music, etc., that need to be confessed and destroyed in your devotion to God? How committed are you to the study of God's word? Again, that goes back to the school Tarinas, two years. Don't you wonder who all was there and who was trained and who was brought? Lord willing, um, we are trying to get into a connection with Shepherd Seminary. And um, if you want to, you can start taking quote-unquote seminary-level classes because they allow you to just audit them. And it's like only 100 bucks or whatever. And you can do it through Zoom. And we're hoping to become um, to the point where, anyways, I don't want to say all of it. Anyways, but we're hoping to become even more connected than that, okay? We're actually classes. And if you want it, we're trying to do it so that if people in Augusta want this, that they can get it right here, okay? And so if you want it, it's available. If you want to know Greek, for real, if you want to know New Testament Greek, you're not going to be a Greek expert. You're not going to be a, you know, but I can teach you Greek. I've done it five, six times. Okay, had classes. It's time to probably set up another class. Okay, if you want to know it, you can know it. It's just going to require you to take time to learn it, okay, and to do it. But that requires a commitment. You always accomplish what you want to. You just have to decide what you want. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you that you are the great God, the one true God. There is no other gods but you. And that you have revealed yourself in mighty ways, Lord, through your people, 
throughout history. I thank you, Lord, how you revealed yourself through, through Paul in the city of Ephesus, and then how you revealed yourself even through those who are being saved, Lord, and, and how their lives were changed. Lord, allow us to be those people whose lives are changed, who are walking testimonies of your grace. Lord, I pray that you would be magnified, you would be glorified. Help us to see a great awakening in this city, in this, this country, Lord. I can't even say a revival because so many people were dead. Lord, help us to see the awakening that you might be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.